David Locke, the play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz, joins us right now. Hey, David, I gave you uh, I gave you one of those those pens that I made. Uh, I'm thinking yeah, of auction. So cool. I'm thinking they of even, we got, they even write. Well, yeah, that's that's the hope that they they do work. Uh, I'm thinking about auctioning off uh, a few of them for the road home today. I'm thinking about a hundred bucks. Is that too much to ask for? What do you think? Well, I think that I've already bid a hundred and fifty, so we'll see if somebody can beat that. Well, there you go, and we're off. Uh, all you do top rope. I like it. All you need to do is call eight zero one eight one nine seventy three hundred. Again, all the uh, all the proceeds will go to the road home. Uh, I think about what must give people to be able to beat me, right? There's a yeah. bunch of people out up twenty four, did a bunch of obnoxious things too, and now they're going to deny me a pen. They're going to they're going to get the last laugh. <laughs> hey. Uh, how, how excited are you? No, I'm just joking. Uh, when you uh, when you can look at the start of this season for this, you can finally ask the flipping question. Like I'm there now. It just took me a little while. Uh, we were in a meeting the other day, and David's like, "If I have to hear you ask me how excited I am to start the season one more time, I'm going to smack you." Now I'm like, it took me a little while to warm up. It's kind of you know, COVID's a different beast. Things are very, very different than what they've been in the years past for all of us in every aspect of life. And it takes us a little while to, like, get a grip on what we're doing and how we're going to do it and how we're going to do it well. It's taken me a little while here. I'm not going to lie to anyone. I don't, like, people are dealing with much bigger issues than I am. But this was not the easiest transition from all aspects of um, broadcasting. I I will share a funny story with you, Scotty. I'm probably revealing too much here, but... In, in an effort to try to be positive, at one point in the process, I was trying to get myself geeked up again, and I, I, I wrote down the reasons why I thought I did my job well, right? Trying to remind me. Yeah. And then the top five things I wrote down I no longer get to do due to COVID. I was like, well, that exercise certainly didn't work. <laughs> That's fair. I was like, oops. I just thought I was doing this really cool exercise to get my mind right, and I just went the wrong direction. 15-yard penalty, mental exercise, failure. It's first and 25. Oh, man, there's so many ways I want to follow up to this. Well, then do it. No. Come on. Like, you don't have to worry about the food chain anymore. You can talk. Uh, no, I, yeah, maybe to a certain extent. I just don't want to get off on the wrong foot, you know? Um, <laughs> when you saw the, uh, when you saw the Rudy Gobert news come in, uh, oh. were you, I mean, I got to imagine you're on did cloud I, nine when I, you saw that. Did I shed a, did I shed a tear? Maybe I was, I will be honest. I think I understood this from the very first day when we were down at the store at the gateway, right? And we talked yep. about it on the show with yep. Bowler that day. I was really scared. And it wasn't that I didn't think the people involved were the best of the best, from Rudy and his agent to being good, really, you know, Rudy's a really good person, to Dennis and Justin, and at the time, the Miller ownership. I just thought the deal was super complicated. I thought it was 
massively complicated because the first thing the Jazz had to do, whether they wanted to or not, was to say no. You're eligible for the Supermax? No. That's how the conversation started. And I thought that could set a really difficult tone on it. Then I thought the fact of the matter is that analytics and a lot of other aspects of things that, you know, Dennis and Justin and the Jazz are involved in, you know, have centers being devalued right now. And there's a pretty strong argument that Rudy's probably not worth $40 million a year or whatever we just paid him. But, and so there was a concern there. That, you know, do you try to push him and push him to the next, to show him that the market's there to pay him? Would have been a reasonable move. There were so many things in this which I thought could be reasonable. And I always say this about negotiations. When both sides are right, you've got a problem. When one side is wrong, you're probably okay. Um, but I just was really nervous. I just thought there was a real chance that this deal wasn't going to get done. And then I had doomsday scenarios in my head of what it meant. So when they got it done and the good people on both sides got prevailed, uh, it's great. Like, what an incredible thing as a fan base to know we're going to be good for, like, four more years. Like, that's an – I mean, besides injury, like, that's an incredible thing uh, because the biggest myth in this league is that you can rebuild and you can't. It's virtually impossible. There's 30% of this league that's in the doldrums and still in the doldrums. And it's brutal. So to not have to do that, that is the greatest thing ever. So thank you to all Ryan Smith and Ashley Smith and Dennis and Justin and Rudy and his agent. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome, Scotty. Awesome. What does that say about Rudy Gobert when he said he came in not asking for the Supermax, realizing that this is where he wanted to be? And, and granted, he gets you know one of the biggest contracts in NBA history. But still, with that said, not coming in and saying, I need this. This is where I need to be. Because you told a story about a jazz player, and I'm not sure if you named him by name, but uh, you said that I wanted to be a max player not just because of the money but because of the status that comes along with it. There's a lot of status that comes from being a super max player, and Rudy was willing to give that up. Yeah, I, you know, and I think that's, that's a nice – you know, he was only getting super max from the jazz, so to some extent once the jazz say no, that's gone. And to not just be bitter about that is probably what's equally as impressive to me on that. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I think that's it. I, you know, I wonder if you're a reporter and you inaccurately report that and get a lot of clicks, whether it's worth it or not, or whether your name's forever tarnished for being wrong. Just a thought. Um, so, yeah, no, I think it's great that Rudy came into this and didn't, you know, allow his ego to, to understand why he wasn't a supermax and to proceed. With the process. I mean, this is what I'm saying. Like, good people did what good people do. There was just so many outside factors that could have derailed it. I was so yeah. scared. And, and, and i got to be honest, Scotty. Like, my doomsday was doomsday. Like, yeah. my doomsday was Rudy leaves, Donovan ass out, Quinn leaves. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, dear. New owner and everything's going wrong. Like, oh, gosh. Like, I was so scared. I, 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 I think it's such a mammoth day for the organization. What does it say about uh, Ryan and Ashley Smith and the fact that uh, this team is probably in the luxury tax for a bit? Yeah, I mean, it would be really nice if they could bounce out of it somehow, somewhere in this process, so that you don't have to pay the repeater. It's just crazy. The repeater's crazy. Um, 
you know, this is, you know, welcome to the NBA. Yep. Here's NBA ownership. Here's, here's a two $200 million contracts you got to sign. But on the other end, you know, what a luxury to be in a franchise where the front office and coaching staff have developed talent the way they have that you have to pay them. So um, I think it says a lot about Ryan and Ashley Smith and their commitment. Um, I asked Ryan in his press conference the other day about the fact that, you know, all, he and Joe Sy and, and Steve Ballmer have all come and Mark Cuban all come from win-win environments. And, he, and you know, now you're, in a, you're not even in a zero-sum game where one person wins and one person loses. You're in this kind of, you know, like, it's, as he called it, a closed market. There's one winner at the end. And that, I think, is incredibly difficult for some of these owners that are so used to winning and adapting to and understanding, you know, how difficult it is. And, I, you know, I thought he said it well. Like, we're here to win. We're going to do what we have to do to win. And, yeah, right? Like, there's not as many princes and princesses and kings and queens crowned in this as there is in the business world. But we're going to be here to do what we can to win. And, and I, I admire that. Um, and I, I, what I really admire is there was a level of um, of humility to, you know what, I don't want to pay Rudy that. I'm going to build a culture and a franchise, and we're going to go get players, and we don't need to overpay for that. Like, it's an overpay. Like, like we all, let's just accept that. That's fine. That's the way the game works. But you very easily could have been a new owner with the amount of success that Ryan and Ashley Smith have had where you come in and say, oh, I don't need to play by, you know, I, I can build a culture. I can do that. It's not that easy, actually. Like, it's almost impossible. The game, the, the, the deck of cards, like, this is something that particularly I don't think jazz fans understand because we've been so lucky. Like, the deck of cards is built against you winning. Like, think about Phoenix. They went through a rebuild, and they've done it. Like, seemingly, they did a great job and got a star in Devin Booker in a, mid, in a mid-pick, and then they got lucky and won the lottery, and they got DeAndre Eaton, a seven-footer, who, like, they should have taken Luka, so that's a, that's a mistake that will be franchise-changing forever. And the next one is they have to max out DeAndre Eaton. Yeah. And unless that preseason game was, a, like, a bizarre flip of him looking at that like he always has, like, I think that signing DeAndre Ayton to a max contract will forever prevent them from making the next step, and they have no choice but to sign DeAndre Ayton to a max contract. No choice. The deck of cards is against you. When you have a seven foot one center who's the best in the world at what he does, and maybe some people can say that what he does is not wide enough in a skill set, but he's the best in the world at what he does, and he's committed to winning and committed to getting better, and you have that, you got to pay it. And that's a lot better than asking to pay the seven-foot-one center who's not committed to winning, not committed to getting better, not willing to do the little things, and not the best in the world the way he does, and you got to pay him too. So we're on the good end of that stick, and I'm really impressed that Ryan and Ashley Smith understood that in their opening days of ownership to make the right move there. There's a lot of owners of really bad professional teams, whether it be the NFL or Major League Baseball or whatever. You know, and there's some, you know, 
you know, like the Knicks situation where, you know, it's it's family money and you didn't really do a lot to earn it. But there's a lot of self-made billionaires out there that own teams that don't run them particularly well because they say this is how I was successful in business. I'm going to take that and I'm going to impose that onto my professional franchise. And it worked here, so it's going to work over here. And it doesn't in, in, in a lot of cases. And I think humility was the right word to use there because understanding, hey, I know a lot about this, but I don't know a lot about basketball. So I'm going to let these guys do what they can and then be able to help them out financially. I, I think that's a good sign of uh, the future of this organization. Yeah, and you know what's interesting about the next step of it that's so interesting is on one level, Dennis, Lindsay, and Justin Zanuck's job has become really, really impossible, and I think at some point it's going to cost us a player or two. You know, this contract, you're just going to have to make a move where you've got to get under the tax or at least limit the tax because it's so prohibitive. Um, and, that's why, and, and by the way, when we do that, we should not complain because the reason that rule is in for, is for markets like us. Yeah. Right? Without that L.A., New York, Miami, Dallas, go spend forever, and we never have a chance. So the day that comes when Dennis and Justin have to unload a player to get either under the tax or limit the tax, we should just be like, okay, that's great, because that's the league rules, and that's actually what protected us for all these years, and so this is the cost. The other side of it is, so that's the negative side. The positive side is when you have Donovan and Rudy, now your roster building is easy, because everything you do, is to match Donovan and Rudy's strength or to cover their weaknesses, right? Donovan's your point guard, and now you try to go find a big defensive guard who doesn't need a lot of possessions. Well, you might have found him already in Royce O'Neal. Like, so, okay, that matches really perfectly. David Locke, play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. First game coming up tomorrow. Uh, I got a great Damian Lillard story I got to tell you off the air. Uh, that I just uh, heard last night, which was, uh, which just, bl- which just blew me away. He's the best. Um, yeah, well, uh, yeah, he really is the best. Uh, there's no doubt. Let's talk a little bit about what you saw in the preseason. Is there anything in the preseason that you took from and can say, okay, well, this is, uh, this is what we're looking at going forward. Was there any takeaways you had for those first three preseason games? So, I mean, I think in preseason you have to be a little careful to not overdo yeah. it, but you also, it's not like a nothing. Right? It's, not, it's not like a nothing burger. Like, it's somewhere in between. Like, preseason predictions and models are probably a better um, way of figuring out things. But, like, let's not, um, let's not just, like, ignore the preseason. So, I think the, the shooting, the, the way that they're getting shots, um, the willingness to shoot threes is a continuation of what we saw in the bubble. The early push up the sidelines offensively is the same. Um, there's obviously a focus on defense that hopefully is that you know will be successful. Um, so I think those are true. You got to be a little careful. Like Portland had a terrible preseason. They're trying a new defense, and it was a total abomination. But they also played Denver twice, who's pretty much the same team and is uniquely difficult to defend. So like I'm not sure you can decide that you know that they're just going to be terrible. Um, you know, the same way I think that, you know, we played a Phoenix team that just is not completely there. Now, what we did to the Clippers was awfully impressive. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty pleased. I, I've got some other things that have got me even more pleased. I mean, as I dig into – I did all of Locked on Jazz today about the Donovan and Rudy pick and roll and how much it's grown, and then you go and look at how much more it was used in the bubble and what that, I think, means for the future, I think is a really big deal. So, 
Um, there's there's a lot of things I like, and I think our top eight guys are are really elite. And then our ninth guy, I think, is going to be situational, depending on the matchups and what we need to do. It might be Shaq Harrison or Mione against Portland, where you're trying to you know bring in somebody who can defend Dame or CJ and beat them up a little bit for a period of time. And then against Minnesota, it might be George Niang, where you're you're spacing for shooting and against. Um, I don't know who we play third. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, I don't have. Who's our third? Who's our third game? I, I know. I I don't know either. I'm trying to pull it up right now. I think it's an LA team. Um, when you uh, let's see, uh, yeah. Trailblazers, Timberwolves, Thunder. Uh, oh, all Phoenix. right. So when you're playing Thunder, I don't know who they have on their roster. Um, yeah. Because they're they're the thunder. They're the so thunder. So you play for Jake Gilgus Alexander pick and roll every play. Yep, yep. Uh, by the way, I, I saw the uh, NBA GM report, and they had him listed as uh, the player they think is going to break out this year. Would you agree with that? I think so. I mean, you look at last year's uh, Oklahoma City team. They were one of three teams like the Jazz who had over 1,000 pick and rolls, or one of two teams who had 1,000 pick and rolls from three different players. So Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, and Shea Gilgis-Alexander all ran over 1,000 pick-and-rolls. And now that those two guys are gone, he's going to run all of them. Um, so I think that you know opportunity leads him to break out, and he's super good. Yeah, yeah there's no doubt about that. Well, David, there's we appreciate real, it, man. There's a real thing going on in the league with height right now that is um, – the big everyone's kind of in this, oh, it's going small. It's not going small. It's going big. It's going skilled. But, you know, Gilgis Alexander at 6'5", you start to look at the guys who can actually make passes out of the paint to three-point shooters, and they're all 6'5 or taller. And then you look at the top catch-and-shoot guys in the league, and they're all 6'7 or taller. So when we start as this game, and then you look at rim finishing, and they're all 6'7 or taller. So they're other than Trey Young, remarkably. So uh, there's there's something going on in this league with height. Gilgis Alexander has the height. Mm. David, have a great call tomorrow, man. We appreciate it, and uh, look forward to catching up again next week. That sounds good. I'm a little disappointed in you that you decided to not, you know, share your thoughts. But you know, I opened up, and you know, you didn't. So what can I say? I don't know. Hey, by the way, my pens all went. They sold. I, I didn't even get a tweet out before all three of them were sold. At a hundred. Well, I, I mean, we we're not set up to do like an auction per se, so I set them at like a hundred dollars a piece, which I thought was way high, and they sold before I could get a tweet out. So obviously, I uh, I didn't value them as much as I probably should have. No, you didn't. Um, no, you did not. So, um, all right. Well. I still one, like you. It's the one thing I've always known about David. You're, you're, uh, you always, you've always, for as long as I've known you, always set the value higher. Always set a high value. And uh, when you undersell things, you just, you just get taken advantage of. Yeah, you know, it's been a constant um, discussion recently. So we'll see. Yeah. Thanks, David. Okay. See you. Bye. David Locke, right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone, and the Zone Sports Network.